People, take your seat and uh, please take your copy of God's Word and uh, open it up to Revelation 1. I'm going to have a little reference there as we get started out in this time of worshiping the Lord through our time in His Word. And uh, I also want to let you know right off that the harvest today is uh, for real the uh, final Sunday in our tour through the book of Revelation. No, really, for real, it is. Um, my prayer is that uh, really what I think the purpose stated in Revelation 1 for the whole book, uh, as well as what really has been my purpose for last Sunday and this Sunday, kind of some return leg times together uh, after getting through chapter 22 of the book, is that we would be a people that finish this journey out through this particular uh, book or letter in God's Word uh, with a yearning to be an increasingly changed vertical people. Uh, more of that in us. Um, there, there can be a tendency sometimes when you go on a tour, you kind of get done or vacation, you get done and you come back and you're like, oh, so now what? Um, kind of like, wow, that, that almost seems like we weren't even there. Or, or what do I do with that now? How do I translate that now into where I'm at. And, and I'll just reference this to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are the ones who hear the words of this prophecy. But then it also says, Blessed are the ones who keep the words. That, that's absolutely critical in understanding this book, especially the way the book of Revelation is so often seen nowadays. It's a book of topics, and it's a book of debates, it's a book of like freakiness, it's a book of whatever, and yet the book says, the letter says that what it says is supposed to be kept. In other words, that means that there's content here, written down here, that is not just to be heard, not just to be read, not just to be talked about, but it's to change us. And really, as we drive the VW van back on this trip, and we park that thing, and we get out of that on this voyage, we need to step out understanding and yearning that we would be different people than when we left. We'd be growing and changing and more of what it is in us. In fact, with that, just a key statement, changed lives grow out of changed thinking. Changed lives grow out of changed thinking. Why do you and I do what you and I do? Answer, because of how you and I think. Why do, you do and I, why do you and I do what we do? We do what we do because we think what we think. Let me, let me say this maybe in a, in a little bit different way and, and maybe a potentially a better way in light of kind of uh, some terminology with us as a church and last Sunday. Uh, say it this way, vertical people grow out of vertical seeing. Vertical people grow out of vertical seeing. In other words, if we want to be a what we call a vertical church, then we need to be a people that see vertically. To say that we want to be vertical and not see vertical, um, it'll never happen. It'll just never happen. 
If we want to be a vertical people, if you want to be a vertical person, you and I have to grow in our seeing. That comes first. And and friends, that's why today I'm driving home the question of, do you and I, do we see it? Do we see it? Just very bluntly, today is I'm not driving home, are you and I doing it? Today is about, are you and I seeing it? Because if we're not seeing it, the doing it is irrelevant. So let's start with a foundation. Let's finish this series off with, do we see it? By the way, Revelation 1.17 from last Sunday, as we came back after going through here and taking a look at verse 17, it says, when John saw. When John saw what? When John saw the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. When John saw that, he then responded in a way that fit that. When John saw, what does the text say? He fell down. He went face down at Jesus' feet as though dead. And as we just started getting into last week, there's so much in that in what's going on with John. But when we see rightly, we respond accordingly. Vertical people grow out of vertical seeing. And in the Harvest Bible Chapel in the West, if we go through this journey, and walk away after this Sunday and don't have the contents and what vertical or, and what revelation wants us to see. If we walk away and we don't see it, we've missed it. I'm dead serious about this. If we don't see it, the last nine months have just been an interesting period of time that will disappear into nothingness. We need to see it. So I, as this last Sunday and this whole thing is so meaningful to me, this has been a series unlike any series I've ever done. And this tour guide is a little emotional in finishing it. Um, I want us to see it. And I'm really excited about what I have to share with you today. Because when we started it, this series, I didn't see what I'm going to talk with you about today. Um, Now, to do that, we need to understand... In Revelation, it told us in the beginning that it was writing to seven churches. In fact, see chapters two and three in your Bible there. You see chapters two and three. We went through this in the very, very beginning, about nine months ago. It talks to seven churches. And if you have a red letter edition Bible, that, that means that the, the text there is in red letters. And red letters, if you have a red letter edition, if you don't have a red letter, by the way, it's okay. It's okay. It's just the red, the red letters just are kind of the words that Jesus spoke. It just kind of helps them stand off the page a bit. And, and by the way, chapters two and three, it's all red. In other words, that means that the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ of Revelation chapter 1 is saying these things. And he's saying these things to seven local churches. And and it's been a long time since we've been here, and I don't uh, assume that you remember this. But before we see what I think we need to see today and finish up this trip... Um, Let me take a few, let me take a little bit here and remind us of what's going on. So first, I want to remind you, in chapters 2 and 3, there's a literary structure. And I think it's important because of of what it's helping us understand about these churches. So there's a literary structure and then a little bit about each of these churches. Five things about the literary structure. Uh, Number one is it has an opening address. In each of these, as you can see on the screen, I've broken each of these sections as they move through chapters 2 and 3 with each of the cities. And it doesn't matter that you can't read that. at that. Uh, it's just that you can see the underline. Every one of these starts with an address. Everyone starts with to the church in. 
It's to a particular place. It's real people in a real place in a real local church. And it has an opening address. Then secondly, it, it, it ha- moves into an attribute statement in the green on the screen. It's really cool because it's like to the church in and it says f- essentially f- from the one who is and it lists some attributes. Uh, from him who and then these attributes. And what's really cool about this, and back in actually 2013, I think we went through uh, the fall there, we went through all seven of these churches, and the cool thing about it was each of the attributes that are listed by each church, and they're all a little bit different, all come out of chapter one. And if you take a close look at this, I think what's going on is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ is giving a particular attribute of himself that has important meaning to that particular church in their particular situation at that particular time. And that should just, for you and I, there are times where there are certain attributes of our Savior that just have grand meaning to them because of where we're at right now and what we're going through. And when you know who Jesus Christ is and his attributes, it matters. And so he gives these attribute statements. Then the third thing he gives is an I know statement. Uh, uh, there's in the red there, there's a I know. Uh, it's, it's hey, Ephesus, I know. And it's interesting, in the Greek, the word know, uh, I know, is not a partial knowledge. It's also not the idea of I have come to know. I've grown in my knowing of. The angels have informed me about it. And now I'm kind of starting to get a little bit of an idea of what's going on with you. It's not that. He's actually saying, I fully, accurately, and completely, and absolutely know. No one had to bring me up to speed. No one had to fill me in. I know. Now, there's part of that where you're like, I don't know if I want God knowing everything about me. (laughs) Uh, No, actually we do. And let me just quickly with that. Three things about the I know. It's good that he knows. It's good that he knows our settings, our situations, our circumstances. It's just good that he knows. Hey, I I don't know where you may be at. I don't know maybe what's going on in your life with it, but do know this. He knows. I mean, he knows exactly, sovereignly, fully, absolutely he knows what's going on in your setting and your circumstances. Secondly, he knows what good is going on. Do you ever sometimes, I think we can understand this isn't a pride thing, but sometimes it's like, boy, I've just seen growth in my life. I've really been persevering through this situation with a growth like I haven't before. And I'm just saying, but does anybody else see that? Does anyone else notice that? Is mom and dad or is, is my spouse or is someone in my, are anyone, no, he knows. He knows. Be encouraged. When growth is taking place in your life, he knows. Oh, by the way, the third thing is, is he knows our failures. No, that's the part I don't like. No, actually, it's good that he knows. Because the one who knows our failures knows the solutions to our failures. And he is the one that provides the grace and the hope and the help. He will never forsake you. Never leave you. He knows. He knows. We don't have to game him. He knows. 
Hey, Ephesus, he knows. Hey, Smyrna, he knows. Hey, uh, uh, Pergamum, he knows. Hey, Thyatira, he knows. Hey, Sardis, he knows. Philadelphia, he knows. Hey, Laodicea, he knows. Hey, Harvest Bible Chapel, Indy West, he knows. He knows. Fourth thing, there's a universal command to each of these churches. Uh, it's in the yellow there. It's, he says, uh, he who has an ear to hear, let him, let her, or really, it's let the local church hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's interesting. It's in the terms there, and it's that let the, that the Spirit is saying. Listen, when the Lord speaks, it's not a solo. There's a harmonious reality going on when one speaks, the Godhead speaks, and they're not loners. It's a team deal. And by the way, they're speaking to churches, not the church, not the universal churches, but local churches. Comment on that in just a second. Fifth, a call to be conquerors. Every one of these, and this is a theme of the book of Revelation, is be conquerors in Christ. It talks about to him who conquers, to the one who conquers, I will give, I will grant. And then he gives an eternity reward. And what's cool about this, by the way, is when we first went through this and we would read things like, I will grant you the tree of life. I will grant you the crown of life. Uh, When we read that, we didn't have what we've studied in Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22. And now, hopefully with that, when we take a look at that, you go, the tree of life. Bam. Crown of life. There have been crowns all through Revelation, and they're victory crowns and they're ruling crowns, and this is the victory crown. There will be coming time when we will be crowned with victory. Oh, it's so cool. Question Why is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ even talked in these places? I mean, actually, I think it's a viable question. Answer. Because he loves them. He loves them. Because they matter. Because he died for them, rose for them. Hey, listen, he's the one who started the church. He's the one, oh yeah, biblically, who's head of the church. And he loves them. And part of it, I bring this up because in this whole conversation, we live in a day and age, especially in America, where, where, where oftentimes uh, people, Christians, have this, this thinking that I'm in on Jesus, but I'm out on the local church thing. I'm in on the universal church, but not the local church thing. And I just have to say, and I'll say if it's you, I'll say it, it's just lovingly, uh, that's interesting because that's not how the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ sees it. And we are literally looking at some of the very last words that we have in Scripture from him. And I would think if he's out on it, he would say. But, but, but what's going on here is, is, it is, is he's in on it. He, listen, he, he's not out on it. And I, I want for you to fully understand, being transparent with you. I understand the goof-ups and the dysfunctions and the failures of local churches. Just straight up with you. I could list some things from Karen and my, our own past to where it's like we could just give some good reason for bagging the whole thing. But wait a second. That's seeing horizontal. That's seeing it as my thing. Uh, no, this isn't my thing and this isn't your thing. This is his thing. 
And by the way, I'll add to it, we saw that he said this, this is to the churches, not the church, multiple local churches. By the way, Revelation chapter 1, it talks about if it was only the universal church, he could have just had one, lamp, one universal lampstand in his midst, and he could have had just one universal star in his right hand, but he had seven lampstands and seven stars in his right hand. And friends, I cannot get away from the scripture and go, Jesus is out on the local church. In fact, Jesus loves the local church. And know this, this entire book of Revelation is written to local churches. And in our culture and in what's going on, I just want to say, he loves the local church. Even in our dysfunctions, we're to love it. And by the way, his church is filled with broken, dysfunctional people, right? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm one of them. But he loves it. Okay. Let's talk about these seven local churches, chapters two and three here. Let's refresh our memories on this. First one. Oh, by the way, this is in return order. Because we're coming back from the journey. So return order. So turn to end of chapter three. Hey, I'm staying with it. I'm, I'm driving the bus. All right. Here's what it is. And this is kind of my own summary on it, trying to bring all this together. Hey, Laodicea. I know. I know that you are big apathy. And little worship. You're a big apathy, little worship church. Uh, Laodicea was a business, banking, technology, prosperous place and people. Boy, it sounds so like America. It really does. Uh, they were self-dependent and self-satisfied. Oh, ouch. Um, the local church in Laodicea became like their culture. They loved their stuff. They loved their buildings. They loved their budgets. They loved their programs. They loved their personal preferences. And really, in it all, Jesus just kind of became another item in their personal portfolio. They were neither hot or cold. Does that sound familiar? They were a church with people that were neither hot nor cold. And by the way, that fact alone sickened the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. And he told them, either get hot or cold. Or I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow. Lukewarm is not the place to be in Christ. And by the way, for the whole rest of the book of Revelation, I just ask the question, how can a lukewarm person work his way or her way through that? That's Laodicea. Well, now we get a little bit happier because we go to a vertical kind of a church, I'll term it. Hey, Philadelphia, I know that you have big trials and big endurance. It's really cool because here with this church, uh, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ speaks only commendation, no rebukes. Isn't that sweet? Don't you want that for our church? No, I'd love it if the Lord is like, hey, you know what? No rebukes. Uh, you're, you're growing and changing. Keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. And here was a church, big trials, big endurance. They were poor, they were rural. They never were going to grow large. They never were going to have a large building, never have a large budget, never be that impressive. But these were a people who persevered in the war because they saw Jesus big. They saw it. And they lived and experienced scars in it. But they saw it. Third, hey Sardis, 
I know, I know you're, that you are a big image, little substance kind of a church. Uh, Sardis was a city stuck in its golden past. Economically, their best years uh, were behind them. They hung on to those glory days. You know, it was always better in the past. It was always better in the past. And by the way, so did the local church in Sardis. In fact, what they did is they covered it all up. I, I would call them, they were busy church. Just busy, 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 busy. Because busy people are important people. Because busy people don't have to deal with the heart of things. You just stay busy. And that's what was going on there. And they were living the image, but they were lacking substance. They were spiritually unconscious as a local church. And Jesus said, wake up! Wow. Hey, Sardis. Next, hey, Thyatira. I know you are big on tolerating little uncorrection. You're a big tolerating little correction church. Uh, this local church was living in a city that had a thriving economy. It was a powerhouse of trade guilds in its whole structure and how it worked. And so civic and religious all went hand in hand together. And so if you worshiped the wrong God of that particular trade, you would, be lo- you would lose out. You would lose out on opportunities and business and, and, and advancements and financial opportunities. And by the way, if, if it was back, especially back in that day, it just just didn't infect one person, it would infect the whole family. It was a tough situation. Uh, But in it all, they lacked doctrinal discernment. So what they did in the pressure is they became a church that tolerated unbiblical doctrines. Well, that's okay. And that's okay. And that's okay. And in it, they let each other go unchecked. I'll say that again. They let each other go unchecked. And so they were a horizontal church and they tolerated all kinds of stuff. And the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, he loves. But do know this, friends. He has an intolerant love for spiritual adultery. Know this for sure. Jesus Christ has an intolerant love for bad doctrine. Five. Hey, Pergamum, I know. I know you're a big compromising, uh, a little gospel. You're a gospel light church. Pergamum was a powerful political, intellectual, religious center. It had great shrines to Zeus and Athena and so forth. And if God's people refused to participate in the pagan events, kind of like Thyatira, they would pay a price. So they had a choice. I'll call it go horizontal or go vertical. You choose. And so in it all, what they did is kind of like Thyatira, they compromised. But it's interesting, they compromised by redefining, rewriting, and restating what truth was. And so they actually validated it in their own thinking. It's kind of like this, you guys. Just because it sounds like the gospel doesn't mean it is the gospel. Just because it looks like the gospel doesn't mean that it is the gospel. Just because it tastes like the gospel doesn't necessarily mean it is. And they were sloppy with the gospel. And they compromised. Another way we could say it in harvest terms is they were contemporary with compromise. Six, Smyrna. Hey, Smyrna, I know you're big persecution, big persevering. This is another church where Jesus is just like, way to go. Keep at it, keep at it. Uh, Some historians view Smyrna as the most exquisite city the Greeks ever built. 
It was a long ally of Rome. It was tied in to the governmental structure. And part of that was shown that the emperor worship was the center in in, uh, Smyrna here. It also had a very large Old Testament practicing Jewish population. And so this gospel uh, uh, holding, gospel believing local church while it was poor in Revelation Uh, Jesus told them they were rich. Hey, Jesus has a whole different economy on how he sees things. They knew persecution, they knew suffering, they knew slander, but they persevered big. They saw it. And lastly, hey, Ephesus, I know you're big in doctrine and little in love. Big doctrine, little love. Ephesus, it was a powerful city. It was a center for learning and culture. It was a magnet for the occult. The local church in Ephesus was the most prominent of the seven local churches. And likely Ephesus, that church, was the church that planted the other six. It was a church-planting church. And by the way, just in our own DNA here, we love that. There were a lot of things that they were doing really well. They loved doctrinal precision. And yet in it, they lacked love. They were the church where it's like, you know, maturity is about those who can fill in the blank answers on all the like, who was the mother of the father of the granddaughter of, in the Bible. And they define maturity by academic knowledge. And they debated it all the time, you know, because really smart people, godly people debate all the doctrinal stuff. Really. Well, this particular church, they were like that. They were orthodoxy power thinkers, but in their orthodoxy power thinking, they had a cancerous illness in their hearts. They lacked love for Jesus, love for one another, and love for other people. And Jesus here is like, hey, stop some debates and start loving one another. And he spoke it to them, and he let them know. Well, that's chapters two and three. It's pretty powerful in itself. Why did I go through all that? Because one of the things I've come to see is through the book of Revelation is so often after you get further in the book of Revelation, you actually completely forgot what the book was written for. You go back to the beginning. And you're reminded this whole book was written, John was to write it and send it to these seven local churches. This whole book is for local churches. And by the time you go through all the, 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 the other things, the, the seals and the, the trumpets and the bowls and the debates and all the, you get to the end and you forget about what it's all about. It's supposed to come back to these people and help them. Listen, the words of chapters two and three are not the only words intended for these churches. All of the words from chapter one through 22 are intended for these churches. And I, I, look, let me show you what I'm talking about, okay? Can I do that? Okay, can I do that? Okay, good, because I'm gonna anyway. Okay, <laughs> maybe that's why I was slow to respond to that. <laughs> okay, the center screen here, and I realize you can't see all the details, and that's not the important part, uh, but this is what we've been through in the book of Revelation. I've got the 
pictures we've used, a variety of them. There's a whole host more. And, but the main thing is I've got these three kind of screens, these three slides. This is actually how I use throughout the series on each of the screens, uh, the right, the center, and the left one to show where we're at and, and kind of the outline of the book. And so if you're new here, we've been using those center ones here. And, and um, so that's been the whole series. And I'll just say, oh my. It's been a really enjoyable bus trip with you guys. Seriously. Thank you. Um, let's take the pictures off. Let's go to the next one. We're right there. Chapters 2 and 3. We're right in chapters 2 and 3 to these uh, seven local churches. But as I've just said and as I was reminding us last Sunday... The whole book was to be then written and sent to them. So let, let, let me depict here. So let's move to the next one. So that means that everything in the first section, the setting of the stage, chapters 1 through 5, goes back to these people in chapters 2 and 3. So what is in this setting here? Well, chapter 1, if you remember last Sunday, was reminding us about it, moving to this place. Chapter 1 is about getting the book started, and then John uh, sees the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. In verse 17, he sees this one. And remember, John was with Jesus for how many years? Oh yeah, that's right, about three-ish years. And so he's with Jesus on earth, the incarnate Jesus, saw him die, saw him rose from the dead, and now he sees him uh, like 60 plus years later in this whole new thing. And, and I would have thought as I talked last week that, you know, as guys are, he'd do like the high five or the slap on the rear end or the chest butt or, dude, you're back, it's so good to see you. But what does he do? He goes face down. He falls right at his feet as though dead. Why? Because he saw a bigger Jesus. And then, by the way, what chapters 4 and 5, chapters 4 and 5, oh yeah, that's when John is taken into the throne room and the whole scene of the throne room, the rainbow and the, the, the four living ones and the 24 presbyteros and, and, and the sea of glass and, and the rainbow and... And, all is, and the father is sitting on the throne and, and in his right hand is a scroll and the scroll with seven seals on writing on the inside and the outside and on the scroll and everything narrows in and, and John knows in this that this scroll is telling about what's to come and, and John's like, I want to know what's to come. I want to know what's to come and they're like, who can open the scroll? In other words, who can implement everything that is sitting in the father's hand and, 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 and no one in heaven is found and uh, they term it, no one on earth is found and no one under the earth is and John weeps because he's like, no, no one's going to be able to implement the final plans and purposes of God. And he's like, I can't stand it if that's not the case. And then he's told John, don't weep anymore. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy. And then they see the lamb who's slain. And he comes and he takes it. Oh, my word. Friends. There is nobody, nobody worthy like Jesus, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ is worthy. Listen, we've got to get off the flannel graph Jesus and the movie Jesus and just the incarnate Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. 
But he is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. And the Revelation 1-1 is the one who is the one who is over it all right now. What is all this telling these sweet people in these seven churches, I'd term it this way, see Jesus? That's what it's saying. See Jesus, dot, 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 big. Because boy, when you're going through trials and persecution, why in the world would I do that if I have a little bitty flannel graph movie British speaking Jesus? When it comes to cut your head off or not? You have a little Jesus and it's not. You see a big Jesus, and it's swing away, my friend. Why? Because of what else is said. Now let's go to the center part, and let's bring that back. Because it's not just that. Remember, the whole book is for these people. And what's going on? Oh my, we spent six plus months in that section. How do I bring that all together? Well, it was about seals and trumpets and bowls and, and all this other uh, kind of pauses in that of other pieces of information. And ultimately what it was is this Jesus is roaring his wrath and his righteous judgment on earth in, in the final war that's taking place and yet to come. And we could get into all the when and how is this parallel, is this consecutive and all that. And we've been through that. And I've talked to you what I think on that. But, but when it comes right down to it, what is all this about? I, I think what all this really comes down to is so much out of Revelation chapter 12. And I would state it this way. See the war. See the war. Because, friends, the, 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 this future war isn't just about a future war. This actually, quote, this future war is the conclusion of the present war. You, you see, there's been a war going on ever since Genesis chapter 3. And that war has been Satan, a created being of God, God given the opportunity to worship or not worship. By the way, why did he do that? Because he wants real worship. Not forced worship. Forced worship is not worship. But freely given worship is. And so here he is. So Satan is, and Satan's like, back you, I want this in my own way. God's like, dude. Seriously, you want to take me on? And yet God, and why didn't God just wipe him out? I don't know. Sometimes I wish he did. But God in his grace has a bigger plan. And God's like, okay, you want to do war? We'll do war. And so Satan can't take out God, Revelation chapter 12. Satan, the child, the woman, the offspring. So what does he do? Satan goes to war against, he can't go to war and win against God. So what does he do? He goes after what is most precious to the Trinity. He goes over after that thing that has created the only thing in all of creation that's been created in the image of God. He goes after mankind. And he goes at war here. Why? Ultimately, the war is not at us. The war is there, but we are collateral damage in the war. And yet a great big God in it is like, you know what? Let's war. Friends, 
We too often think we live in Disneyland. We think that this world can satisfy. We think that everything here is all there is. My job, my money, how much stuff I have, how easy life is, my health. Let's put it this way as I noted last week. The God of our day and the God that's been around forever since Genesis 3 ultimately is the God of this life can give me happiness. And what's so off with that is this. If I was to go over to Iraq or Afghanistan and ask some of our brave soldiers who are in war, why are you here? And they said, to be happy. And yet we laugh. And I ask the question, why are you here? To be happy. (laughs) Are you kidding me? We live in a war. We live in a war. Well, I don't like a war. Me either. But I didn't set this game in play. Now, if we see Jesus and we see the war, frankly, it's kind of discouraging. Because there's a great big Jesus and a really big war, but is that it? Ask. Is that? No. Because screen number three comes back. Remember screen number three? The latter half of chapter 19, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, as all this war, the end of the war that's in we're in right now, but this is the concluding times of that war. Uh, what happens at the end of 19? He gets on his white steed with the, the heavens behind him, and he comes, and he comes to wage war as we went through. And before the war even begins, he's won. And then we carry on through, and I won't go through the rest of, uh, of it all, but it goes on through the other things. And what's happening in this section here? We're moving into this new eternal place. What we're finding out is, is, is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ of this, after the war, is now taking it, and he's moving it all into what? The victory. Know this, friends. See Jesus See the war, see the victory. I'm like, now I got it? That's what those people needed to understand. And that's what we need to understand. In fact, let me carry it a little bit. The people of Laodicea, the church in Laodicea, big apathy, little worship. What was their problem? They weren't seeing a big Jesus and they weren't seeing a serious war. And Jesus is like, see this, and now bring that back into your little apathy. And start seeing me big, get hot for me. And worship me, because I am going to be doing all of that. And then we come, let's go to Sardis, big image, little substance. It's like, okay, you want to be big image about yourself? Um, Here's the deal. You need to start seeing me big. Because frankly, without me, you are nothing. And by the way, part of seeing Jesus big 
is understanding that he is the word. And he is the truth. And he is the life. He is the substance that's needed for this war if victory is going to be had. They needed to hear that. Thyatira, big tolerating, little correction. Dudes, this is not Disneyland. This isn't playground land. This isn't happy world right now. Doug, you're a downer. <laughs> Too many of us are living in a lie. And that's the saddest information of it all. And the most loving thing to understand for a church like Thyatira is dudes, you are living in a war. Wake up. Pergamum, big compromising little gospel. They're not seeing Jesus big, seeing the war and seeing the victory. Jesus is just another item in their portfolio, another item on their shelf, another nice, great thought. Ephesus. Dudes, Ephesus, you need to stop sitting in a room and debating and get out there and play the war. Stop talking and start loving like a big Jesus does. Those, they needed to hear that, right? Does that help? Does that make sense in it? They needed to bring this back in the context of who they happened to be at the time. And all of this is from a loving Lord. He's like, listen, I'm pointing some things out to help you, to move you, to advance you, to get you hot, to get off apathy and get on solid. Oh, by the way, Philadelphia, big trials, persecution. I think through this whole thing, this is like, that's right, that's right. You guys are living like you see me big. You see the war and victories coming. Hang on. And if that means that some heads are going to be chopped off, know this, that if it happens to be yours, listen, friends, this war is the length of a dot in the context of the line of eternity. And victory is coming that is not for a short period of time, but it is forever, forever with the Godhead in that 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile cube, if that's what the whole deal is. With him in the Holy of Holies forever. And the big Jesus is going to light it up forever. No sadness, no more tears, no more war. Done, gone, over. started with the question of pressing home the question, do we see it? And I finish with, do we see it? Oh, by the way, a vertical people are grown out of vertical thinking, seeing persons. 
There's nothing that I can do or that you can do that just psh, make it happen. Believe me, I, if we had that wiffle dust, we'd be selling that, right? Person by person, local church by local church, seeing it. A little added context. I'm not asking, are you living vertical? I'm asking right now, are you seeing vertical? Because vertical living comes out of vertical seeing. And so for this week, I'm calling us as a church to watch yourself. Are you seeing it? What am I talking about? What's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of life? Why am I even having breath today? I'm having breath today to give glory to a great big Jesus Christ and to make his name the center of it all. And by the way, in doing that, I am living in a war context right now. But I know this, even though I don't like war and I don't really want to be in this war and I wish I could change the whole thing of it right now. Satan, get out of here, you back. But know this, <laughs> victory is coming for those who are in Christ. So I persevere today knowing, seeing that. Oh, let me put it in this context. Going through hard times right now. Persecution, just situations, health, whatever. Oh, listen, 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 listen. Horizontal people see me, see happy, and see now is all there is. But when we're going through persecutions, we're understanding, listen, a, a big sovereign God who, 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 who is reigning over this war, by the way, he knows exactly what's going on in your life. And a great big sovereign God has even allowed it. But I don't like it. Now we got a different subject. But we're in a war. Hang on. For his glory, because victory time's coming. Disneyland's a coming. But it's not here right now. Dating, marriage. Hey, dating. Why? What are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for someone to make me happy. Ah. Oh. Listen, they can't do that. Trust me. Karen can tell you. <laughs> My wife. Listen, how about this? How about when I think about dating or when I think about my marriage? Listen, in dating, I'm looking for someone that sees Jesus big and who wants to live as a team through this war together. Where's that girl? Where's that guy? Married couples. Are, are, are you seeking to be a man, a, a wife of, that sees Jesus big and right now helping is, is, is a team together in the war? Yeah, yeah, listen. When we get married thinking that they're gonna make me happy and then a year later, five years later, 10 years later, the multiple, all of those added together when all of a sudden we sit back one day and we're like, she's not making me so happy right now. In fact, my spouse hasn't been making me happy for like, 
I'm going to be gracious right now. A while. And because, wait a second, why'd I marry her? Why'd I marry him? Because I thought he could make me happy, she could make me happy. That is so unfair. Because that person cannot do that. Hey, couples, we need to be people that are together seeing Jesus big and warring the war together. And victory's coming. I, I, I could just go down the rest of the list of all of things of life. School and career, failure and discouragement, friends, family, parenting, parents, parents. Why are we, what are you doing in raising your children? I want to raise my children so that they'll grow up and they'll be moral, you know, just like any other atheist might say. I, I, I want them to be successful and happy. Hey, how about this? How about if we're working to help our children see Jesus, know how to live in the war, and see the victory that's coming? What if our kids were coming out of our home with that? I got to tell you, we got some boys and some women, young women and some men and some women. Man, if they're coming out like that, Boom! See Jesus. See the war. See the coming victory. But in the victory, even see that there's victory in Christ in the war. Oh, friends. Why do we do church? We do church to help each other what is it? That's why we do this. So what do I do, Doug? What do I do? Oh, that's so Western. Um, we want to be like, what do I do now? What's the three-point bullet points? I'm just saying this. Today, see them. Just see it. Watch yourself. Watch yourself this week and watch what you see. And there will be times, Lord willing, that you see this and times you won't. Learn in that. Grow in that. Learn what does it look like to be seeing Jesus big in this right now and remembering that I'm in a war. No wonder hard times are going on. Or no more. Okay? That wasn't speaking in tongues. <laughs> okay. I, I, so go home this week seeing this in your lives. Okay, can we do that? And, and very last thing, I want for you also to know that what we're going to be doing here in the coming five weeks is adding to this not just what we're to see, but what we're to do. And in fact, I'm really excited about this because we're calling this series, We Are. So what are we? What are we? Well, here's what's happening. Um, over these next five Sundays, uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, what we are to be, what we are to do, but we have to bring the seeing into it, okay? Uh, in light of the seeing, what are we? And here's what's really cool. By the way, next Sunday, Pastor Nick is preaching uh, next Sunday here. Yeah? Okay? Pastor Nick is preaching next Sunday. He's preaching on we are unashamed, uh, unashamed adoration. And he's going to be preaching next Sunday. I'm really excited about that. 
Then, by the way, the Sunday after that, uh, Pastor Rick Donald. Rick uh, was here maybe a year ago, and, and Rick is up in Harvest and has been at Harvest since almost Harvest started, six months into when Harvest started, some 25, 30 years ago. And Rick is just, a, oh, 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 if you, you got to be here for that. Pastor Rick's coming down, and he's going to be talking about how we are unapologetic. And with that, and then, uh, and then the Sunday after that, Pastor Cody's preaching on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Pastor Cody's going to be preaching. He's going to be preaching. You know, we are unafraid. That's who we are. Seeing Jesus, seeing the war, seeing the victory, and in it, we are unafraid. Oh, and then after that, the Sunday after that, I'm really excited about that. I'm just excited all the time. And so, uh, in all this, uh, one of our elders, uh, Elder Rick Alexander, is going to be preaching that Sunday here. Yeah, bring it on, Eric. And, uh, uh, Rick is going to be preaching on uh, how we are unrestrained, unrestrained love. That's on uh, uh, Valentine's Sunday there. And then the Sunday to finish it all off, Pastor Eric, yeah, Pastor Eric is going to be preaching. He's going to be preaching on uh, we are unceasing. Uh, we are to be an unceasing praying church in all that. And I'm just so excited about this. And you're like, well, you're excited because you're not preaching at all. <laughs> And, uh, and I know that's what you're thinking. And, uh, and, it, and so just so you know as well, God's so good in this. I'm so grateful for them because honestly, part of this is this is allowing me to kind of step aside from uh, my day-to-day things for a period of time. And the elders have allowed me to do this, to key in time here for this coming um, four uh, weeks plus to concentrate in on getting another chapter with my doctoral project. Uh, if I don't get two chapters in this year, uh, I'm out of the program because like a church got in the way. And um, so uh, they've been very gracious, but I'm going to be kind of stepping aside and just going into the war room of writing um, here on that project with it. But uh, hey, the Lord's good. He's really good. Even in the war that we live. And victory's coming. And we're going we're gonna to close here with some communion together. So we need communion servers to come up, get in place. We're going to close with this. And, and I, well, here's what I want for us to do. I want for us as we take communion together to, to not just be seeing the, 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 the broken body and, and the shed blood on the cross. No, no, no. We, friends, we have to see way bigger than that. Because the work on the cross, and it leads to the empty tomb, which leads to the, the whole seeing Jesus big and magnified and glorified. And it tells us that he is the one who has conquered the war. We are in the war, but, but it's already won, and yet we're living that out. And it also tells us, the bread and the cup remind us that the victory is in him. He, he is the one who brings the victory, not you and I. So, so, so let's finish this series out, this bus ride out. By uh, Here, when you're ready, um, we'll the, go ahead and come on up and get in place. And, and when you're ready, if, if you know Christ is your Savior, if uh, you're redeemed in Christ, and um, this is a time for you to come and participate and just grab the bread, grab the cup, bring it back to your seat, sit down here, and then... Pastor Robbie here in just a moment is going to lead us in the taking of it, and then we're going to sing a song and be done. But this is a moment to see him big, right? Hey, let's see Jesus, see the war, see the victory right now in what you're doing.